Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, a podcast from the Business Centre where we talk about all things small business. Welcome to another episode of our Cyber Security Culture Series with Sarah and Kristen. Today we are joined by Georgia Turnham. Georgia is a security advisor at Trustway, working in the governance, risk and compliance space. As a result of a keen interest, multifaceted experience, and more broadly understanding in cybersecurity, security more generally, and international relations, Georgia is able to assist clients and others with a range of problems through diverse solutions. Georgia is currently the holder of the Acer Rising Star Award, has advised a United Nations working group and presented at a number of security conferences and a Trustwave webinar in Australia and globally throughout 2021. Georgia is highly qualified in the cyber security space. She has furthered her knowledge through a number of educational cybersecurity courses pertaining to information security, cyber threat intelligence, PCI, DSS and more. Outside of this, Georgia was an overall runner-up and category winner in the 2018 ASEAN Austrac Codathon and is a New South Wales Innovation Node Cybersecurity Ambassador. Georgia graduated from Macquarie Uni in 2019 with a Bachelor of Security Studies and complemented this with short stint studying abroad in the field of international relations. This included undertaking an immersive study opportunity in New York, furthering her understanding of the work of the United Nations. Georgia has a keen interest and knowledge of incident handling and management, the cybersecurity threat landscape, the future of the industry, and the enabling technologies that will emerge as key components of the threat landscape. Welcome to the podcast, Georgia Turnham. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscenter.com.au. So I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And we're from the Cybersecurity Culture Program here at the Business Centre. This project is funded by the Australian Government Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources through the Cybersecurity Business Connect and Protect Program. Key findings from the Australian Cybersecurity Centre Annual Cyber Threat Report for 2021 noted three key facts. More than 4,600 breaches were reported with over $81 million in loss. There was an increase of 54% in average financial losses, all due to business email compromise. That's usually referred to as BEC. This series will be highlighting a range of cybersecurity issues within business around culture impacts of breaches, what to look out for, real-life stories, where to seek support or report a breach, and some easy strategies to start protecting your customers and your brand. It's crucial to be proactive and have strategies in place for protection, So welcome, Georgia. Our guest today is from Trustwave to discuss business email breaches and some actionable steps to take away today. Hey, Georgia. Hey, thank you for the introduction. (laughs) It's a nice lengthy one. It's great. So in the cyber criminal world, compromises to IT and email systems are really big business. So I'm wondering if we could first discuss some of the most common email breaches that you see in your day-to-day work. Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to kind of email breaches, you've got three 
broad kind of categories and they each kind of meld into the other. So it's a bit hard to just say they're distinct and separate to each other. Mm -hmm. But we're looking at things like ransomware, phishing and business email compromise and malware. So when it comes to ransomware specifically, what that is, is it's a type of malware that locks or encrypts your files so that you can't access them. And it then typically will demand payment in release for those files. Now, what we're seeing with ransomware is that it's increasing in cadence and scale, and it's really morphing into like a legitimate enterprise that you would, you know, any real business would be running. So previously, it's we've noted there's been a bit of a shift in the tactics by ransomware actors where previously they'd lock the files and you'd either have to pay them or make sure that you had the backups on hand. But eventually businesses cottoned on to this and made sure they had those backups. So the attackers had to innovate and change their tactics. So we've now shifted to what is kind of referred to as the double extortion method, where before they lock the files away and demand the payment, they actually exfiltrate and spend a considerable amount of time in your environment exfiltrating data first. So Instead of just keeping them hostage, they kind of double the loss by threatening to leak the data as well. And that's really changed the game. In, in around August, uh, we noticed that there was a significant rise in one type called Lockbit 2.0, and that was across a number of Australian industries. And when they use these double extortion methods, they're kind of leveraging other things like distributed denial of service to make their attacks just that more devastating. And then if we shift over to the ever more uh, lovely phishing, you know, we all know about Nigerian email phishing scams. They're kind of like what we've all been brought up on. I actually received a couple this morning. What did you get? <laughs> Apparently, I have $15,500,000 waiting for me. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. In this day and age, it's lovely to have that kind of just like backup plan. And all they're asking for is my full name, current address, age and gender, my occupation, my direct mobile number and a passport copy and ID. Hmm. And then they also want my bank name, bank address, account name, account number, routing number and SWIFT code. Wow. Well, that sounds legitimate. It does sound legit. Yeah. Pass that on. Get that money. <laughs> They added a nice little caveat here and they were saying one thing that we're on top of for you is the fact that one of the beneficiaries who's got a portion of your payment that we're trying to get to, the reason your payment was not released to you due to one flimsy excuse or the other from the bank officials in charge of your payment was because they had the intention of diverting your funds to their private accounts in order to satisfy their selfish interests. But... I'm really lucky because the department, the management of the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank have detected their evil plans and therefore call for the submission of my payment filing information to them. And that was just really. one today? That was just one. The second one I had was from the Foreign Remittance Department releasing me $10.5 million and I just have to tell them, all the same information, but they also want my next of kin, Oh, as always. And they also added in their email, be informed that this development is real and nothing contrary, hence you cannot be disappointed because it is not business as usual. 
That's really interesting. <laughs> what did you do with that? Look, I think we always get the temptation to like just either delete it or kind of send back a joke. Mm-hmm. But one thing that does is it, they'll notice that you've engaged. Okay. Um, and then also often by responding, not only are you engaging with them, but you're also kind of validating their efforts like you might actually do something incorrect you might open an attachment that they've linked and mm-hmm. you know while you mm. don't intend on doing that it still ends up providing information so if you can you can either report it as spam or you can actually reach out to the impersonated institution so for example i think that was first pacific bank and i've actually reached out a couple of times and i get those emails to say look I think you guys might be being fished and that just gives their security teams, gives them Mm -hmm. a heads up and helps them get one step ahead for their customers as well. So it's tempting to just delete, but if you could actually pass it on, that's probably, and pass it on safely, that's probably a better course of action. Do you have a part-time business that you'd like to take full-time and beyond? Our experienced business advisors can support you in growing your area and making that big bang in business. Contact us at businesscentre.com.au. So when you said that if you delete or respond, it's acknowledgement for them, does it mean deleting it still acts as an acknowledgement on your behalf? So not necessarily deleting, but deleting just kind of, you know, there's that whole idea about out of sight, out of mind. And if, if you're not going to reach out to the person to report the email, then just delete it. Okay. But if you do respond to them and whether you're responding as a joke and you're giving them false information, what it kind of does is that it validates that of the hundreds of emails that they've sent, mm-hmm. um, it validates that your address is, you know, a live address and they can continue sending efforts there. So you just said live address. What does that mean? Does that mean that they've just sort of picked a whole heap of random addresses online? Yeah, look, it's likely that they've just scraped from maybe breaches or just online accounts, Mm -hmm. just any address that seems to be kind of created. If you respond and if you respond with like a joke or something, it does kind of tell them that there is someone that's actively using that address and there's someone that will receive their emails. So Mm. while they probably don't send it out expecting people to respond, if you do, it's kind of like picking up a telemarketer's call. Okay. Mm. (laughs) All right. So you also discussed and talked about the phishing and you were saying that, you know, we all know about this and I think, you're right in that we do know but are there other words that might be associated in the level of phishing attacks that do occur and who are they targeting so outside of you know the nigerian email scams um which i didn't get many of when i was actually in africa but then come back here and they're everywhere what we've seen is that phishing has morphed into a variety of approaches so we've got things like mass phishing campaigns but you've also expanded to things like vishing, which is a voice call. So when you get a call from the tax department or someone telling you there's a warrant for your arrest. Mm-hmm. Yes, heard of those. Mm-hmm. Had one of those. <laughs> I just don't think that they put that much uh, effort into me. And then we've got smishing as well, where it's, you know, getting sent the Australia Post link. Mm-hmm. But then you also have things like spear phishing. And particularly for businesses, that's going to be a big 
player because if you're targeting specific individuals, mm-hmm. you're taking it away from that mass scattergun approach. And this is when the attackers actually crafted a kind of a pretext and they've done a fair bit of research into who they're going to target with information that's going to be more relevant to them. And spear phishing emails are often going to be a lot more legitimate looking, uh, just in appearance. Sure. Um, But then we've also got, uh, and with phishing and phone scams, uh, Scamwatch actually in 2021 alone have reported losses of up to 211 million. That's a lot. Uh, And that's of the ones, yes, it's a lot. And that's of the ones that's been reported. I mean, that's more than what my phishing emails are promising me. And then we also have business email compromise, which you spoke Mm -hmm. about a little bit. And this is slightly different to phishing Mm -hmm. because the emails that, when it comes to business email compromise, the emails coming from the address will appear legitimate because they Mm -hmm. are. So, what the attacker has done is they've actually compromised a legitimate email account and Mm -hmm. they've usually built up a conversation by then, you know, inserting something like changing the banking details on an invoice. But what we see with that one is that it comes from a legitimate account, so it's a lot harder to detect because spam filters won't just won't pick it up. Okay. And particularly with business email compromise, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre actually just released an alert saying that these types of invoice and payment scams were targeting the property and real estate sector. Is there something you can do as well? You can hold your mouse over the email name and see if it like, matches what's, what's there. Is that something you can do as well? That is definitely one of the things you can do. If you just hover your mouse over, it could be the landing link that they've said, oh, go mm. here because this is where it's going to take you. And you can do this on a phone or an email or a laptop. It'll show you the a little like snippet of the hyperlink that it's going to take you to and, you know, look for things that are out of the ordinary. So if it says it's going to take you to Australia Post and it launches you to godaddy.com, well, maybe, maybe do double, double check take. it. Yeah, reassess that. So what would you recommend in regards to sort of training your staff and understanding yourself about some spear phishing um, attacks? I've actually kind of gone off script here. You've led me down a different path for the moment. So let's just say I have a small business and I feel like I'm pretty secure and I'm pretty knowledgeable, but what are, what are some of the things that you're seeing rolling through in your day-to-day work that perhaps are a bit of a shock to you at the moment? Is there anything coming through differently? I'm not necessarily sure that it's coming through differently. What I have noticed is that kind of phishing actors particularly are leveraging different and they're commonly using different and more advanced kind of techniques to make themselves appear more legitimate. Okay. And it, it's, it's working. Obviously, there's things like poor spelling mm-hmm. and punctuation and grammar, like in, in, in that one I just read out before. Mm-hmm. But even some of the most like advanced ones, it's going to be word for word what you would get from the, you know, the official business. Mm-hmm. But I will touch on in terms of protecting emails as well. Yeah, that'd be great. What, what would you recommend? What do you suggest? What do you... Tell me, tell it, tell it, tell us all. Well, in terms of protecting emails for any business of any size, I mm-hmm. think there are a couple of tips that I would share. Thank so, you. for example, having a secure email gateway. And 
this is going to be a shameless plug, but Trustwave have Mail Marshal, and that analyzes inbound and outbound traffic to protect the end users and prevent data loss. Okay. But, you know, regardless of who you pick to do it, although Trustwave is great, <laughs> have that secure email gateway because I did come across one client who you would expect to have things like that um, mm-hmm. just at the level that they're operating, but they didn't. And it's just, it's one of the fundamental things Like you can even get default gateways with Gmail and Outlook, really. So what does all of that, what does it mean? Like some, someone's gotten through the mail gateway. What was the implication of that? Are you able to share? Yeah. So in terms of like email gateway, it is a bit of a like, oh, what is this? Like, is this the case to my kingdom type thing? Mm-hmm. Really what it is, is it's just kind of that gateway is just the inbound outbound traffic. So it's the ease of which it can flow through. And when you have a secure email gateway, you know, you've got someone, it's like having someone at the keys of the kingdom saying, you've got all the hallmarks of bad, you know, a bad kind of payload, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to let you in. What I might do is I might quarantine you. I'll notify uh, the end destination that this has been quarantined Mm -hmm. and they can kind of examine it in a safer environment. So it's kind of stopping the threats from getting into your inbox. And it's also just like, you know, the most rudimentary version of it would just be a default spam filter. Okay. So basically, Mm. if I have this right, Kristen sends me an email. It's a legit email, but I'm not expecting it. My email inbox is not used to seeing Kristen's email address popping up. So it's come through, but what you're saying is it's just sitting over here in another little room at the moment until I physically go into that little room or that little folder as such inbox and it might say you know this is in quarantine it's from Kristen do you accept it is that what you're saying and then when I accept it then it comes into my inbox that's definitely how it works with um outlook I can't necessarily okay. speak to like gmail but I know they've got a similar kind of setup going okay cool also, just as, if not more important, is have multi-factor authentication on your accounts and on your network, mm-hmm. not just email, but beyond okay. that. So I think your key and critical systems as well. Even on um, your email? And, oh, even on the email. Okay. Do, okay. It, do it all. Do it if, all. If we're doing, yeah, do it all. Just kind of go hard or go home. And what kind of multi-factor authentication, because it sounds like a crazy kind of concept, But what it is, is it's just, it's beneficial because even if your credentials become compromised, so Mm -hmm. the attacker gets your password, Mm -hmm. they actually need another authenticating token, such as your fingerprint or like a one-time key before they can actually get in and access it. So it just makes it that much harder for them. Okay. Makes sense. Sounds like a little bit of extra work, but it's probably worth it for sure. The outcome's not pretty, is it? No, not if you own a business. (laughs) Well, no. So we often think that big, and I'll deviate from my little checklist for a second here, but if we think that, you know, big scary criminals always target like the big fish and the big organisations and not me or you because we're kind of small fry and big fish, Mm -hmm. basically, you know, we're all targets. So Mm -hmm. if we look back a couple of weeks ago, there was a man in Castle Hill who fell victim to a BEC scam. And he was just, you know, your everyday Joe. I don't think he was uh, 
doing anything spectacular or, or just, you know, he wasn't a CEO of a multinational company. And he actually transferred and lost almost $100,000. Now, it turned out that this request for $100,000 hadn't been asked for and then obviously was never received by a conveyancing system that he'd been using because the system had been breached. So the attacker had actually been able to get on and insert themselves in that way. Now, luckily in this case, because the man was kind of watching it and, you know, following up on the kind of flow of funds, he was able to get his money back in full. But that isn't always the case. And often what we see and what I've seen in my line of work is that it's only when people are chased up because one party is asking why they haven't been paid or where are the money or where is the money, that's often the first sign that people realise something's gone kind of wrong. And that report you're talking about, the person who was breached, he was right on it. He was. He was watching it. Like, and, and we're just, we're not all that lucky. But if we look at, you know, organisations more broadly, so just away from that single man, even IBM in 2020 noted that the average time to identify a breach was 207 days. So while that guy was like straight onto it, it, it's not always the same. And when you're in a large enterprise uh, or even a small enterprise and it's just not first thing in your mind when you wake up, then it's really hard to detect. Because Mm. I also remember that, and this kind of scared the hell out of me, was that Forbes did kind of some research and found that on average 30,000 websites are hacked each day. And in America, another research study done by Veronis found that last year, 54% of Americans had never even checked to see if they're affected by a data breach. So when you look at those two statistics together, it paints a bit of a mm. dire picture. It does. It does. But I think it's, it's, you know, it's a bit of a negative spin on it, but there's room for improvement. Our eyes are open. You know, we have the awareness now. So it's like, well, this is, it's okay. This is what happened. So now we've got people like yourself that are here to help and support us and to help our businesses grow and be safe. Do you have a business idea, but you're not sure it'll work? We have small business toolboxes and expert business advisors to support and guide you through your startup process. Contact us via our website to find out how, businesscentre.com.au. You were talking about ransomware and malware before. Can you just explain malware for us, please? Yeah, of course. So when we think about malware, and we often kind of think, kind of about ransomware because it kind of dominates the discussion. So we mentioned what ransomware was. It was something Mm -hmm. that locks your files, demands payment. But malware is quite typically like come across on every day. So other malware variants include things like viruses, which are a type of malware which requires, you know, human intervention to like execute, but then it can run amok. Then there's things like adware or scareware so often those pop-up kind of things that come up and maybe hiding in advertisements on websites just Mm -hmm. waiting for you to click on it and then you got like really more kind of nefarious things like trojans which malware which disguise themselves as like a legitimate software 
So it'll pose as maybe your antivirus. And when you click on it thinking it's the antivirus, well, it ends up executing the, the virus. And then we've also got things like worms. And when it comes to worms, what makes them so dangerous and such a threat is that these are types of malware that can propagate and replicate and spread without any intervention. So just by being there, as soon as they start up, they've got the ability to spread throughout a system. And we noticed that these were some of the big kind of players with things like industrial control systems. So if you're an industrial control system operator, you'll probably remember Stuxnet, which was the Iranian facility. And they got a worm and it kind of propagated and took out the entire thing. Just with any malware, it can basically be designed to do whatever the attacker wants it to do. So it's just any kind of unauthorized code that's running in your environment. So how can you tell if there's some malware running on your computer or on your systems? Is there a way to be able to tell or stop it? Yeah, so that depends on the type of malware it is. So things like spyware and keyloggers, they will often, and, and anything near like a rootkit, that's going to operate really silently and quite close to the base of the operating system to avoid detection. Mm-hmm. But obviously with ransomware, the whole point is that you know it's there. So that'll right. come up with a, a big kind of note saying, hey, got your data, paying your mm. money for this place to do it. But if you're just looking at things like viruses and kind of other little types of malware, often you might notice your device is running a bit slower or it might be heating up or, you know, really trying to struggle to operate normally. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, as obvious signs as the blue screen of death, which no one wants to see. So, yeah, it really depends on what the type of malware it is because, like I said, things like spyware, they're designed to hide and they'll conceal themselves. How can you get rid of those things on your computer? So the first thing I would do is throw your computer out the window. Excellent. Okay. I think I'm going to anyway. This is all too scary. I just say. Not not scary. I'm throwing my computer out. That's it. (laughs) You can run reputable antivirus software. So to do that, always access the software from like an authorized software shop, like the App Store or I I think it's the Google Play Store or something like that. And so always go to like those authorized software vendors. Mm-hmm. or purchase it directly from the store yourself. Basically, because there's a lot of third-party application stores that are hosting, that they're, they're unchecked, so they'll host a lot of software that claims it's one thing and then does something else. Otherwise, once you've run your antivirus and, you know, if something's flagged up as, well, hey, this isn't kosher, there will often be, if the provider is kind of good, they'll actually give you some advice on how you can remove it. Mm-hmm. But again, even reach out to like a computer troubleshooter or you could reach out to like do a Google search to see how other people who've faced this have come up against it. And then also something as simple as, well, actually this one's not simple, but when it comes to ransomware, if you've been ransomware and you're trying to get rid of it, there's really good like open source projects that provide you decryptor keys for like malware that's publicly online so go to those like services to get that you can also check signatures so if you're more in like the incident response or engineering side you can actually run to check if you found like something that seems wrong in your network 
you can actually run the signature of the virus against something like Total Virus Lookup, and it'll check an open source repository of signatures as well and give you some advice on what that malware is and and what you might need to do. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Can we reach out to someone like yourself? Are you in incident response? I'm doing incident handling, but I bit locked myself out of my laptop, so I just let the tech guys kind of do all that. (laughs) So there are experts that we can call on, which is great. Let's talk all things small business. For some practical advice and direction, DM us on Facebook or Instagram at The Business Centre. Do you have any stories that you might be able to share that you know of that has become a victim of any of these ransomware malware attacks, perhaps? So specifically with ransomware, I am aware of a small business, not a particularly pretty picture. I was aware of this one small business who, you know, they were probably the last people I would expect to be ransomware, but I think that just goes to show, you know, you can't have that expectation that I'm not going to be a target. Mm-hmm. And basically they were a little bit frugal in terms of protection. So they didn't have awareness training. They didn't have an incident response kind of team. And they were slightly a little bit just not as focused on the security aspect. So what happened was these guys didn't even have a VPN on one of their servers. So someone was actually able to access the server and encrypt all their files on it. And they didn't have backups. They didn't have employee training. And they didn't want to disrupt their operations by reaching out and paying someone to get it fixed. So... What they did, and I don't recommend this, was they got, phoned a friend, not a friend that's in security, but just a friend who was in IT. And they got them to kind of help kind of deal with the ransomware. So they actually did a few lookups, just Google searches based on the note, because often there are little tells in the note. So it might be go to this landing page and that'll direct you to who's kind of behind it all. So they didn't do any of that. They decided that they were going to, and they didn't have the backups either. So they paid the group what they're asking. And the thing is, when you pay, the reason we don't recommend it is, yeah, there's a lot of reasons, but the first one is you're firstly funding you know, your funding proceeds of crime because who knows how they're going to use that. And that can actually reflect poorly on your business. But also it can go, it's a violation of, I think, the criminal code because it actually, uh, you're paying for the proceeds of crime. Another reason we don't recommend it is because, is that even if you pay, you're not assured to get your data back. So while this, I'll I'll admit, more often than not, they will get some data back because if a ransomware group doesn't deliver the data after they've been paid, it defeats their business model kind of going forward because people will say, but you didn't give me my data back, so I'm not going to pay. So there's kind of like a a trade-off for them as well. But even if they do give you some of the data back, they'll often do it kind of in a way that's like, ha-ha, we taught you your lesson. So what they'll do is it'll be like you might only get partial recovery of your files or there might be files that have been deleted or removed they may also and in this case this is what happened to them they may also provide you with one key 
but not kind of a way for you to unlock all those files at once. So what this company had to do was they had to go through the entire server with all the files and they were historical files and they had to unlock every single one manually with the key. So they'll make it time consuming for you. And often this is to teach the business a lesson. But in some cases, what we've seen, and I think it's really neat, but in some cases, what we've seen is that the attackers have actually provided them all the data back and then said, by the way, you might want to do this, this, and this to secure your system. Wow. <laughs> like, I just think that's the ultimate kind of thing. That's a nice so criminal. nice of them. Hmm, isn't it ever? <laughs> yeah, because so- I did see that once and I was like, you know what, props to you. Yeah, so what So what happened with that small business that you were talking about? They got partial recovery of their data, but there was significant downtime. They also had to shift a lot of their kind of operations to manual while they couldn't restore it because they were a computer-based company. Luckily enough, it was kind of, they just upgraded their server, but then the owner decided and it was with significant resistance that they would do security awareness and they put in a VPN but that's not always the case and I don't think they've actually learned from what happened which is one of the key things you need to do once you've been attacked Mm -hmm. because they haven't actually created that kind of culture and Mm -hmm. the culture is really your strongest defense yeah, so it'd be pretty scary. So it can be a scary thing, but, you know, as long as we, it's all about the awareness and changing the culture and the way we think about things within our business to turn this, to turn it around, we learn from our mistakes and those of others, I guess. Do you have a part-time business that you'd like to take full-time and beyond? Our experienced business advisors can support you in growing your area and making that big bang in business. Contact us at businesscentre.com.au. What are the first steps that you take when implementing some controls to protect your business emails? So I touched before on mail marshal and multi-factor authentication, Mm -hmm. but then kind of supporting that you also want to have a strong password policy, which is Mm -hmm. like the main thing. Mm -hmm. And there are kind of technical solutions. Like we mentioned, you've got um, the gateway, the MFA and quarantine. Mm -hmm. But one of the main things, because I mean, I'm always going to advocate for technology, partly Mm -hmm. because it's one of the fundamental things that keeps me in a job. Mm -hmm. But also because when we do this, it can actually overlook the simple fact that cybersecurity is a human problem. And so I left this biggie until like the end. But What is fundamental for a business is to educate and train all users to learn what email threats look like, how they can report suspicious emails, whether that's to an internal like security department or to, you know, the ACSC or Scamwatch and, you know, never to click on the attachments. And like we touched on before, you know, hover your link over the URL because with this type of training, we're really looking at running it regularly to keep up with the landscape because the landscape changes and we've touched on that a little bit you know Mm. ransomware tactics change and Mm -hmm. phishing attackers change their tactics so we want to run any sort of training twice a year or you know as changes develop and you want to make sure that it touches on changing behavior so it's really great like you don't want to change culture if you've got a good culture 
but you do want to create training with the objective of changing user behavior. Too often do we see training programs only being run out of like a compliance need. So we're not actually doing it out of a desire to improve our defenses. So really coming at it from that, let's change the culture, let's make everyone involved. Because the sad fact is that your employees are going to be the lowest hanging fruit and that's what attackers are going to go for. Because um, it's so much easier to kind of get someone to tell you their password than it is to crack it. It is. And we might even add some little downloadable resources to look at for, for things like password and how easy they are to get hold of. Yeah. There's a really good one that I quite enjoy. And it's if you type your password in, it mm-hmm. tells you how easy it is to crack. Mm. But what I urge is that you don't actually type your password in. Maybe mm. type one that's similar, but mm-hmm. a couple of characters different just because that's kind of like the security not in me. It's like, uh, mm. do I really want to mm-hmm. tell them my password? Yeah, yeah. Good tip. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscenter.com.au. Last three tips to wrap this up. All right. So my last three tips, or I've actually expanded to maybe four tips. Go for Um, it. But the first one is shift your mindset. Mm -hmm. So attackers just aren't looking for the big fish anymore because often those aren't going to reap the rewards that they kind of want. So it's no longer a kind of thought about if you'll be attacked, but Mm -hmm. when. Then the second one is that cybersecurity awareness training. So Mm -hmm. these people are at the front line of your organisation and in saying that, they're on the front line of your defences as well. So you can have the best tools and solutions in play, but if your staff are going to, you know, be fished, then that kind of is a mute point. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of that is to, during that training, you want to develop a positive culture. Because you don't want your staff to be scared to say that they've done something wrong Mm -hmm. and you don't want to develop a culture primarily based on all sticks and no carrot. So defence against cyber attacks really require an open and honest conversation between you and your staff and they need to know that it's okay not to have all the answers Mm -hmm. and to make a mistake but as long as you kind of act as like a cyber hero and you speak up and learn from that mistake. And in terms of like solutions and technologies and policies and procedures, I guess the first few things would be like backups, mm-hmm. huge importance. MFA, like we touched on, strong password policies and practices. Mm-hmm. And if you're a business that is trying to put in place information security policies and procedures like don't try and comply with every single control that's put forward for example by the ASDS central eight because even they've admitted that it's just it's super unfeasible and untenable for any organization to actually meet all eight of those controls effectively and you don't want to try and be you know ISO 27001 compliant and certified overnight because that's really like security is not a destination it's kind of a a journey whether we actually have the ability to get to the destination is completely different point it's just it's not a set and forget activity so we need to take things slow and build out from there 
So really pick like your key driving policies. So that would be things like your information classification, your the cybersecurity policy, and kind of build out from there. Mm-hmm. And again, shameless plug here, but the Trustwave Security Colony has a whole bunch of templates, support okay. forums with consultants, exercises and maturity and vendor assessments that you can leverage and turn into your own. So you don't need to think that you're kind of alone in this journey because there's not just a whole community, but a whole country that's kind of out there and happy to help you when you need it. And like the main thing is if you don't reinvent the wheel because you Mm. don't have to. I think to me kind of the last kind of thing we need to remember and the last tip that I'll say is that cybersecurity can actually be really fun. It doesn't have to be like a compliance activity, like an audit. I mean, it, it is a lot of audits, but it doesn't have to be. You know, try and keep staff engaged and involved. So think about mm-hmm. cybersecurity exercises, kind of awareness sessions that get people in a room and get them speaking. Um, mm-hmm. Even like awareness posters or awareness weeks is a really good one to have. So October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month and, you know, we're engaging a lot of cybersecurity like businesses and it's just it's making it a community affair so Mm -hmm. it's really like you can teach people how you like it doesn't have to be all stick and no carrot it can be a bit of fun it can be we've had fun we always have fun. That's what I found about the cybersecurity community. Like everyone is just so willing to help and offer information and help everyone along the way. It's it's really it's really lovely. It is lovely. I've worked on two ransomwares recently, and on both of them, like it wasn't in the scope of our engagement, but we did it anyway. Like just because if someone needs the help, you're not going to say pay us or we're not going to help you because then you're basically just like them. If someone needs the help, you you kind of act first and, and think later. Yeah. You know, think about the, the, the costs and that later, but you, you act first to help someone. Yeah, it's really lovely. Well, thank you so much, Georgia. And we'll put all of the other information up on our website etc etc so thank you and thanks uh, Georgia we'll soon no thank you yeah it was nice to talk to you guys what? you'll see us again thanks for listening to the business big bang theory podcast if you enjoyed our podcast today please review and rate us through itunes and follow and share on facebook instagram or linkedin at the business center 